0: On this edition of FedGov Today with Francis Rose, the AI revolution that's only getting started and the transformation coming to the IRS. It's Thursday, May 4th, 2023. Welcome to FedGov Today with Francis Rose. The next episode of the FedGov Today television show is coming this Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7 in Washington, D.C. My guests include the director of the Defense Information Systems Agency, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner. If you miss any episodes of the TV show or the podcast, you can always find them on demand at (laughs) FedGovToday.com. Chief Information Officer of Space Systems Command, Colonel Jennifer Krolikowski, says she's, quote, cautiously optimistic about generative artificial intelligence. Defense Scoop reports military services are just one part of the government deciding how they want to use the technology. Commander Juliana Vita, U.S. Navy retired, is Chief Strategy Officer at Splunk. She's former Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Navy. Juliana, welcome. It's great to talk to you again. What strikes me about generative artificial intelligence is... This is a topic that has sprung up, obviously, as a result of ChatGPT over the last couple of months, but before that, it's, at least to me, didn't seem to be anywhere on anybody's radar screens, and I wonder how we get to a point where technology like this sneaks up on us and what we can do to stay on top of things like that, Juliana. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Francis. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for having me. To your point, from my experience, having been in the government and now on the industry side, I, we we know that this should not have been as big of a surprise as it was. However, there are many many topics that people refer to as bright shiny objects. You know, the new big thing, um, ChatGPT, could be categorized as one of them. But like you mentioned, often they aren't that new. They're just new on the la- in the landscape of of what we talk about in uh, in government IT. I think that. The time has come where continuous education, learning, attending um, you know, industry events, or even taking classes for low or no cost or online webinars that are often offered for free, providing that opportunity for government workers, government leaders, is no longer like a nice to have. That truly should be woven into the fabric of how agency leaders are held accountable, and how they are, you know, showing responsibility for the productivity of their teams. Um, it it used to be that if you happen to work for, be lucky to work for someone who allowed people to take time off and take a class at National Defense University, for example, or uh, attend a webinar every now and then. That was just like, hey, I got so lucky I worked for this person. Now it really should be a core responsibility of leaders at all levels. That is because. We all know as human beings on the planet that the pace of technology innovation is not ever going to slow down. There's too much for people to know and to learn. And if leadership isn't taking that responsibility to empower their workers to have that knowledge, then we will continue to be caught on our heels when the next technology innovation comes along. And often, unfortunately, that is after our adversaries (laughs) have figured out how to use this technology. So that's my initial response, Francis, is that continuous education and access to learning has got to be a core responsibility and a piece of accountability for leaders across the government.
0: Yeah. Accountability seems to me to be the most important piece of that. Maybe I've got it wrong, but it seems if like if that's included in performance reviews, what over the past period of time, what did you do to improve your brain so that you can be aware mm-hmm. of what's over the horizon? That seems to me to potentially be the most effective way to make it happen.
1: Absolutely. I think so because we know human behavior, um, well, in the workplace anyway, is people will behave the way they're measured and what they're rewarded for. And if it's not truly – um measured as a, as a performance measure, then it, it quickly becomes a nice-to-have and it falls off the plate because there's too much other important work and or distracting work that will just quickly take the place of, of the training and education. So yeah,
0: accountability is key. I wonder if maybe even the terms training and education are part of the problem slash part of the solution too because I think more what I was thinking about with citing this observation about, about generative AI is almost awareness maybe more than I don't th- I don't think it's necessary for uh, all these people to understand exactly what all the nuances of generative AI are but it just struck me over the last maybe 3 to 6 months maybe a little bit longer J- uh, chatgpt and the others came along and people went wow I didn't have any idea this was even coming down the road and and I didn't either so I'm not I'm not saying that mm-hmm. uh, that somebody should have necessarily I don't mean to sound like I'm pointing fingers. I'm just suggesting what is the right plan for leaders to not be surprised by the next kind of technology that comes along. And and that's maybe why I'm thinking awareness might be a better term even than education and training. Because education and training sounds like a thing. Oh, okay, I'm going to have to go and participate in this Whatever yep. it is, <laughs> and awareness is just oh maybe I should be reading articles or or maybe I should provide for my team resources things that they should be aware of that yep. kind of thing.
1: You you make a great point. It's it's funny. I was thinking the same thing recently because I words matter. I'm a big I'm a, I'm a wordy. I love words. I love to break words down, and there are certain phrases that just take on a connotation over time. And I think you're right training and education means something like in the military context. And it generally doesn't connote creativity or curiosity or uh, continuous learning or awareness to your point. So you're right. Maybe a small tweak for now is to just change the whole moniker of training and education and make it something else that a lot of evolved leaders actually do talk about. If you watch what people are saying at uh, industry events or in their LinkedIn engagements or their social media engagements. Many leaders will say that having a curious mind, being curious about the world, being open to um, constantly improving, that has traction. Those words have traction. So maybe it's time to take those words and put those into performance reviews or um, into job descriptions or what, what have you because there are certain words that just turn people off. As soon as you say cyber training, people in the DOD will think of the, the silly training that they have to do, you know, once a year that has the, uh, the uh, animated characters who, I don't know, they do things like leave their, leave their cack on the table and, and you have to decide what, you, what your response is to that. So, yeah, maybe it's time for that mindset shift to be accelerated by, let's use different words, different, like modern words.
0: Another potential challenge, I imagine, too, is that from an acquisition and financial management perspective, um, training and education sounds like it costs money. And, and there's then there's an, a process to obtain it. Who do we obtain it from and all of that? So I imagine there's an element yep. there. Let me ask you this. From a, a perspective of acquisition, where's the right place t- for these folks to get this stuff? What's the right role of industry to provide that kind of awareness, information, and we can maybe even take it to education on a in a broader sense, um, without making it feel like a pitch, without making it feel like, well, you should buy my company stuff because fill in the blank.
1: Big disclaimer: I'm not an acquisition professional. Sure. <laughs> However, I do get your point, um, and things can quickly turn into a pitch. But I would argue that. If you look around today, not saying that what is offered today is what is perfect for the future, but if you look around today, there is plenty of free training for certifications, for example, certifications that the government requires people to have. So I think that's a good starting point. Take a look at that uh, enablement. I don't want to use the training word. Take a look at those webinars or those courses online and see if if that fits the bill, because I, I feel that... A lot of the LinkedIn learning courses, a lot of the industry-provided free um, training probably is good enough. It, it, you know, We used to say in the Pentagon, it probably wasn't just the Pentagon, but perfection is the enemy of good enough. Well, let's look and see what's available right now. And is that good enough to use as a springboard to let's just make this more widely available and um, make more people aware of this stuff that they can get for free? Now, you and I both know that if something is free and it's awesome, it's not going to remain free forever. But it could be a good starting point for this is the kind of stuff people dig into. This is really popular. This is stuff that people of all ages and experience levels are getting value from. And then just iterate on that.
0: So dig back into that hard drive between your ears, Juliana, and see if you can recall an uh, an example of what we've been talking about. And you can call out the source of it or you don't have to. Um, but what were the characteristics of something like we've just discussed that you found over time really was valuable to you in whatever way that you think it was valuable to you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, for me personally, I am definitely an in-person learning type of person. So I'll talk about, there was a a leadership development program that I was fortunate to get into when I was a GS-15 and it wasn't just the content of the training. And it was basically taking a group of GS-15s from across the department of Navy and, and grooming them into the SESs of tomorrow. And in that class, I can't tell you one lesson that I learned there. However, I can pick out five human beings from that class who I still have relationships with and we share ideas and we encourage each other and we invite each other to speak on panels and, you know, it's the human interaction. I also remember two senior executives who came to talk to us as a group and, and gave us their, their pearls of wisdom, their, their lessons of, you know, how to be successful and and what to do. And it's for me, that has been that human touch. So I started out by saying, you know, there's online training and all of that, but that could be a format. But then I believe there has to be a human interaction piece. I, I just think that most people react to that. We're social human beings, we're social people, we, we want um, that human connection. So maybe there's a, a marrying of the two. Available mm-hmm. online content or available virtual con- content, hand in hand with, and now a person's going to come talk to you about it or here's a mentor that you can connect with. Uh, that's what's been valuable and memorable for me.
0: Juliana Vita, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for your time today.
1: It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Francis.
0: You can read more about generative AI in today's show notes at fedgovtoday.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of FedGov Today. Next week, you'll meet some of the people I met at TechNet Cyber in Baltimore this week. Preston Wu of the Defense Innovation Unit will tell you what DIU is doing to link cutting-edge cyber companies to the Defense Department. Next week's FedGov Today podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. And you can always listen to podcasts and watch FedGov Today TV shows on demand at FedGovToday.com. The Internal Revenue Service will get what it calls a, quote, historic opportunity to modernize its operations through the Inflation Reduction Act. The agency's IRA strategic plan details who and what it will spend the money on. Danny Werfel is the commissioner of the IRS. On Sunday's episode of Today TV, I asked him what the 80,000 people his agency can hire in the next decade will do.
2: The first rumor that was out there that was that these new employees would be armed and let me just put an end to that rumor that is absolutely not the case what we need to do is we need to hire A variety of different people to help meet the demand of the tax system we have today so that means two important things one we have people that are calling into the IRS for help in navigating our complex tax laws we need enough customer service agents to man the phones and right now we're getting there we've hired about 5,000 new agents and as a result we had a historically good tax season in terms of answering the phones but we have to maintain that number and make sure that as the tax system and the filers grow, we have the right amount of people in the phones and in our walk-in centers. We have taxpayer assistance centers around the country. Some people don't want to call in. Some people want to walk in, and we need to be ready to meet them there as well. So that's the first type of person that we're hiring. The second type of person we're hiring is to help make sure there's fair compliance with the tax system, and let me just give you a little bit of data. Right now, we have 2,600 IRS employees that are responsible for exam or audit of the top, most wealthiest taxpayers, that's individuals, large corporations, complex partnerships. 2,600 IRS employees. There's roughly 390,000 wealthy and very wealthy taxpayers against individuals and organizations. So 2,600 employees, 390,000 very wealthy filers. So we have to close that gap a bit because these wealthy filers are coming in with returns that are thousands, tens of thousands of pages, sometimes hundreds of thousands of pages. And so really what we're doing is we're hiring data scientists, accountants, some auditors, attorneys, to unpack those very complex returns. And that's what the hiring is about.
0: One of the challenges that you'll have too over the 10 years that this money covers is that. People will leave service, they'll retire, or they'll move on to other jobs. What's the attrition look like pers- prospectively? to fill those jobs.
2: Very challenging, and that's demographic. Mm -hmm. We've heard for a long time about the the wave of baby boomers that are going to retire, and we're living that right now. We have a significant number of IRS employees that are eligible for retirement right now, so not only do we have to grow our capacity, and for example, our call center, and our ability to assess what is owed by our wealthiest taxpayers, we have to keep up with that very attrition. So we have a lot of hiring to do, and and I like to say this is not about supersizing the IRS, it's about right-sizing it. We just have to have an IRS that's the right size to deal with the size of the tax system we have today. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, population growth, complexity of tax filings, the GDP moves up and the economy becomes more complicated, and we get new requirements. So, for example, if you look at what happened during the pandemic, the IRS was provided a lot of new responsibilities, for example, getting economic impact payments out we need to be ready for new challenges that might come our way where we're gonna have additional requirements and it's just it's a readiness
0: you and I talked about the uh, situation technologically at the IRS when you were acting commissioner eight nine years ago what's changed in the interim and what is really necessary for you to move the agency technologically, to sync with those people that you're bringing in?
2: Yeah, well, in my early weeks at the IRS, I really tried to get a sense now, in 2023, where we are. And we've had some important successes, we have you know, modern uh, platforms, we have uh, updated digital scanning of paper forms, and when I say modern platforms, I mean platforms that allow, that previously didn't allow people to file electronically in a way they couldn't before, upload documents that are digital versus submitting paper. But there is a lot to do. That for every form that you can file electronically today, there are forms you can't. And we have to be in a world where taxpayers, if they choose to want to have a completely digital experience with us, they should be able to make that choice. And we can't accommodate that yet. The other part of our technology is what I call our backbone, like the big business systems that are there that do things like, for example, house all the taxpayer information. We have two large systems, the individual master file and the business master file. Those systems have to be secure. And so if they're on older technology, then we're not investing in all the right solutions to make sure that we mitigate all risks of of data intrusion. These are the types of investments we need to make, and what I'm seeing is some improvements have been made over the past 10 years in these systems, not enough. And the Inflation Reduction Act funds will let us get across the finish line and give taxpayers confidence that when they submit information to the IRS, it's on the most modern technology available to protect that information.
0: I mentioned the strategic plan for the IRA that you released just a couple of weeks ago, and we don't have time to go through all five objectives. There's a link to it at fedgovtoday.com, um, but one in particular I to to ask you about dramatically improving service to help taxpayers meet their obligations receive the tax incentives for which they're eligible that fits it strikes me with the president's management agenda focus on customer experience is that what that objective is intended to sync with
2: absolutely it's 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 this idea of meeting taxpayers where they are like i said i think if when the irs is is at its highest and best purpose and mission and functionality, then we are recognizing that taxpayers are different. They're approaching us from different means, from different locations, with different preferences. And so we have to make sure that we can meet those preferences fully digital, in person, on the phone. Also, it's not just build it and they will come. A lot of taxpayers don't realize, because of the complexity of our system, that they may be eligible for a refund, that they may be eligible for a credit. So this is about education education and outreach. We have an opportunity to reach underserved populations, rural populations in a way that we couldn't before when we were underfunded. So this funding really is about benefiting taxpayers because the emphasis is on two things, service and making sure that the wealthiest taxpayers pay what they owe. Those two things I think have you know, pretty much widespread agreement is those are two things that the IRS should focus on. And that's what the Inflation Reduction Act does.
0: That customer experience element that you just described would go a long way toward addressing I think what I see in surveys all the time about the way people think about your agency. Another one is objective two, quickly resolving taxpayer issues when they arise. What's the strategy to be able to address that? How much of that is technology and how much of it is people, Dan?
2: Well, first, let me say, I don't we're not in this game to be popular we have we have a mission to help taxpayers and popularity is not not part of it i have been talking to the irs employees and saying look we're like that football referee we'll get booed when we get the call right we'll get booed when we get the call wrong but we can't leave the field we're essential to the game and we really relish that mission and we know no one's going to throw a parade for us when we get it right and that's okay we're proud of what we do now how do we help taxpayers fix problems right away one of the biggest things we can do, and this is about not being as modern as we could be, is putting online accounts in place. You should have the same experience when you go to your local bank. You should have the ability to see your information, have that online account, get that email alert, see that red flag that there's something that you can fix right there in real time. If we do this right, then the era of getting weeks and weeks of letters from the IRS could be over because you're resolving it in real time on the computer in your uh, in your profile and in your account. We're doing that for individuals, we're doing that for small businesses, we're doing that for large businesses and we're excited about that advancement.
0: About 30 seconds left Danny, I know you can't maybe give a timeline but what vision, uh, from a vision perspective, how far off do you think that idea is?
2: Not that far off, I mean that's the thing, we have we have great momentum, we had a great filing season, we um, we have digitized more forms and we'll digitize more, we'll be able to knock down paper backlogs as a result. I expect things, for example, like we're going to increase the callback option in our call center to 95% of the time you'll have a callback option. We expect to do that by the end of July. We expect meaningful improvements and modernizations by next tax filing season, but we have to keep the Inflation Reduction Act funds in place in order to do it, and we also have to fund our base budget in order to make sure that the current train schedules are operating on time. And I'm, I'm testifying before the House this week on the budget. I look forward to explaining exactly where those moving pieces are.
0: IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel on Sunday's FedGov Today TV show. You can find a link to the IRS strategic plan Commissioner Werfel talked about and watch the entire episode of FedGov Today TV at FedGovToday.com. The FedGov Today podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. You can follow the show on any of those platforms so you don't miss the next episode of FedGov Today with Francis Rose. It's coming next Tuesday. Hope you'll join me then. Thanks for listening.